Okay, all right, okay, all right. We are back with another great episode with yes. another great guest. This one, this only, Will Martinez from Grey's Anatomy and Organized Crime. Man, yes. Dick Wolf and Shondo. This I, guy does it all. He's getting it done, man. An up-and-comer who knows the game. That's why it's important. And he does. All kidding aside, he, he gives some great advice to you guys out there who are trying to do this on what to do on set, how to be respectful, who to talk to, how to pay attention, to ensure that you get asked back on more sets and yes. more gigs. It's a really important one that you guys are definitely going to want to check out. Oh, that's for sure, man. We're super excited about it. That's later on the show, though. Now, let's get a little crazy. What's up, everybody? Oh, my goodness. Episode 224 of Inside the Crazy Ant Farm. Let's get crazy. You guys know your host with the most, <laughs> myself, JLo Fantastic, and the one and only Mal. What's up? There's so much happening, guys, you don't even know. You don't even realize, but it's <laughs> great. It's a fun time, and yes. that's what we're here for. But before we get this thing started, of course, be sure to... Leave a comment on the podcast, wherever you're listening to this podcast, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Anchor Music, all the good things, all the good places. Leave a comment. <laughs> let us know what you think. Rate the podcast. And leaving a rating actually helps the show get seen by more people who enjoy entertainment news, especially those who are trying to break into the entertainment industry For itself. Sure. So, you know, we want to help those be in the room where it happens. That's what it's all about. But before we tease the rest of the show, be sure to head over to our website, www.crazyamedia.com, we start rocking the latest and greatest crazy ant media gear. We have a little bit of everything for a little bit of everybody. So it's all good, man. Get there right now. 15% off while supplies last. We cannot say enough how much we appreciate everyone who heads over there and checks out our merch. It really means the world to us. Did um, you know that you can buy candy? Candy. I'm thinking about buying little uh, Hershey uh, th uh, candy bars with our mm, logo on yeah, it. Yeah, there you I, go. I, yeah. I, I mean, we eat a lot of chocolate. It's true. And... Why not have our brand on the chocolate? I'm <laughs> right? just saying, you can too. You it's can awesome. too. You can too. Oh my goodness. Uh, I'm super excited about this show because, yeah, we're going to be talking all about the update on the WGA strike. We're going to be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy numbers. We're going to be talking about all the stuff that's happening with HBO and Warner Brothers and Max and all the good shit over mm, there. We got a lot uh, of streaming news. Man, we really do. I mean, we are in the height of the streaming wars, so it's definitely going to be interesting. But let's dive into it with the biggest thing that's happening in Hollywood right now, which is the WGA strike. Now we're talking about Amazon, HBO, Warner Brothers, uh, TV, NBC Universal, Disney, CBS Studios, and other major struck studios will be suspending some of their first look deals uh, amid the ongoing writer strike. Now, while the news of overall deals are being suspended is somewhat jarring and crazy for everybody, but this means it's really not unexpected because this is happening and this is kind of what follows suit. Um, one thing the agents emphasize, though, is that no one has heard any talk of outright terminating these deals at this You're point. Right. Um, such a move would make a much more drastic and likely would uh, only occur if the strike drags on for an extended period of time. But I mean, there is some speculation that that could happen. Um, I mean, the move with the studios to cut off all expensive deals with big producers who are not only necessarily producing much of their content, but again, this is a situation that could occur only 
possibly months down the road. So, of course, this is an ongoing developing situation, but right now, that's the update of what is going on with the DGA strike. They are suspending some of the deals, the first look deals that are happening at these studios, which is, I mean, it's a little terrifying. Uh, yeah, and in fact, a little bit later on uh, in the news, we've got a pretty significant name who had a mega deal that is not being renewed. And we'll tell you who that is and what studio in just a minute. Yeah. But it's not just the WGA. We got all the GAs. The DGA True. is also about to have their contract expire at the end of next month. So their uh, negotiators for the DGA, they gave a little video preview of their talks with the studios saying they are, quote, fighting to receive our fair share of the new global future. Now, the DGA began its round of bargaining on Wednesday with the Alliance of Motion Picture uh, and Television Producers. The Guild is focused on rewriting the streaming residual formula to account for growth in foreign subscribers. The DGA talks are underway as the Writers Guild members are, like we said, still on strike. The negotiations will take place actually in the same MPTP conference room in Sherman Oaks where the WGA negotiators spent six weeks attempting to reach an agreement before, obviously, those talks collapsed on May 1st. So as long as the AMPTP negotiators are occupied with the directors, it's not expected they'll have much opportunity to deal with the WGA. Not, as we've been telling you, that either side has expressed any interest in restarting those talks anyway. Now, the DGA contract expires on June 30th, as does SAG-AFTRA's contract. SAG-AFTRA is set to begin their negotiations on June 7th. So, guys, let's just lay that out there. There is a strong potential because, as I just said, the Writers Guild apparently is not interested in going back and renegotiating. They do not like what they had to say, and they're not happy. Now the DGA is in early talks, but they're going to start theirs, and they're clearly coming after the same things the writers wanted, more residuals, more open numbers about ratings, etc. And then SAG-AFTRA... It's, it's going to start. There could conceivably be a point where we see a couple of months down the road, directors, writers, and actors all on strike. Yeah. All on strike. What the fuck does a studio do if that is the case? It like, is very, very crazy. And and a lot of people have been asking, too, what about those writers who are also producers? Do they still have to fulfill those producing obligations? Well, there it, there was a threat this past week there was. from studios that said for those particular people, writers that are producers, they could possibly be sued for not fulfilling their contractual obligations. But I th- also think that is just a threat and a ploy to try to get them to come to an agreement quicker because the WGA and the spokespeople came out and said, that is not true. That's not going to happen. Do not go back. And yeah, so they're sticking strong to this strike. It's going to be very interesting. And I don't know if a lot of people saw, we tweeted about it, but it was um, the president of SAG-AFTRA who does not want to strike at all. Fran uh, from The Nanny, if you guys remember that show. Um, yeah, she does not want to strike whatsoever. She was being trying to be very in the middle about it, but I feel like a, that's already a very divided union. Yeah, so I feel yeah. like a lot of their conglomerates will still strike. Well, and look, she might have just endangered herself at for repeating as president yeah. because my feed blew up with actors saying she doesn't speak for us at all. She's clueless. Yep. We are fighting for the same thing that the WGA and the DGA are. We want those same type protections, and we don't know what the fuck she's talking 
talking about. Yeah. So that could be potentially really dangerous. And I, I should say, like what you were just talking about too, the producers that the, the writers slash producers that they are trying to get to threaten to come back, they're the showrunners. Yeah. And so it's a sneaky way of trying to get the showrunners to come back and write. And they're using their producer moniker over their head to try to get them in there. And I'm glad the WGA didn't fall for that shit. It's like, yeah. listen, yeah, showrunner, but I'm not writing. Exactly. I'm not coming. And since we're not in production... I don't have any producer responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So what am I coming in there for? Smart. Makes absolutely no sense. But yes, that is the update right now. And be sure to follow us at J Logan Austin and at Crazy Ant CEO to stay up to date. And of course, It Cap Podcast, because we have all the news all the time. Oh yeah. Um, now heading over to Disney, their shares slipped a little bit, as much as nine percent in the trading Thursday after the media conglomerate reported earning for the first three months of 2023. Disney's earning report showed progress on the cost-cutting front, now with streaming losses narrowing for the quarter. But analysts cited a weak advertising outlook and yeah. uncertainty over when its streaming business can be uh, can contribute to the bottom line. Now, Disney Plus did lose 4 million subscribers for the quarter end, which was April 1st, including a loss of 300,000 in the U.S. and Canada, the bread and butter. But the company narrowed its streaming losses by 400 million. Now, that's down 26% over year over year. And Disney said it would remove content from Disney Plus to cut costs while also expecting to raise prices on the ad-free Disney Plus tier. In addition, CEO Bob Iger announced that the company would launch an integrated uh, Disney Plus slash Hulu one app experience in the U.S. by the end of 2023. That makes sense. Um, indicating that Disney's desire to hold on to Hulu uh, from Comcast, that only makes sense. That buyout's going to happen at some point this year. Under the terms of Disney's Comcast deal for Hulu, the guaranteed minimum value of Hulu right now is $27.5 billion, meaning Comcast's 33% stake is worth a minimum about about $9.2 billion. More than 40% of Disney Plus subscribers in the U.S. are bundled with Hulu, though. So, I mean, it would be beneficial for Disney to just go ahead and buy that 33% from Comcast, I think. So it's it's very interesting. It makes total sense, but look at those numbers and why the advertisers and the critics are saying, when will it contribute to the bottom line? They saved $400 million. Mm-hmm. That's nowhere fucking close to what they would pay $9.2 billion exactly. to get the rest of Hulu. Yeah. So it's an interesting, when will this finally balance out? Now, as Logan just mentioned, Disney Plus and Hulu will be merged. So what does that mean for your favorite shows? Well... I, you could be in trouble. Yeah. Disney will cut the overall volume of content produced for Disney Plus and Hulu as it deals with a much tighter macroeconomic environment, not to mention the uncertain impact of the writer's strike that began recently. Now, after spending just under $30 billion on content in Disney's 2022 fiscal year, which ends in September, Iger has targeted a $3 billion in savings for 2023. How are they going to do that? Well, Disney will trim the volume of new content that it produces for 2024 and 2025. It will also weed through, and here's where I said your show might be in trouble, 
It will also weed through the vast library of content on both Disney Plus and Hulu, removing some of the little-watched titles that are too costly to maintain as available titles due to residuals, royalties, music licensing fees, and other costs. Meaning... If your show ain't getting numbers, it's out of there, whether you like it or not, which could be bad. Disney will take a write-down of $1.5 billion to $1.8 billion later this year to acknowledge the loss of value in content that had been developed amid the rush to load up Disney Plus and Hulu. That would be chapping. With buzzy shows that would draw new subscribers. Now that sometimes worked and sometimes didn't like right they they were content 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 some of it went over and some of it did not so it's risky all the way around there's just no way around it i think we're at a point right now in the streaming wars where not everybody has every platform and it's to the point where they're only signing up for the platform when a show that they want to watch comes out and then once that show's over they get rid of it. So I think a lot of these streamers are feeling the effects from the A and B situation. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that continues forward. And like we've talked about on the show, like you've talked about all the time, um, Bob Iger saying the bubble is going to pop. And I feel like that could potentially be soon within the next, at least the next 10 years, maybe the next five. So it's going to be very interesting to see how all of that moves forward. But I, I think that's definitely part of what the subscriber loss is because right now Netflix and Disney are going back and forth of who has the most and i mean they're not off by much but it's still a good amount oh it is and 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 just a like a couple of other things that were kind of like in there too like first of all they're not the only one to merge to the no. hbo max and and discovery plus are merging into max paramount plus and uh cbs already merged into just now Paramount Plus. So like all the studios are doing this and to and try now to, about to be Showtime too. And Showtime also to try to consolidate content into one area. And I just want to say like you said, not only is Iger predicting where it's going, but I shared an article if you follow me on uh, LinkedIn that from two or three years ago when this was all first starting and they were talking about launching Disney Plus, he told the board at that point This is a long term. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And it will be a decade or more before we will see profit from the streamer. And he, here we are, three years later, and they are not profitable and don't know when they will be. So Iger was on it before they even launched. He warned the the shareholders and the and the board. We are not going to be profitable for a long time. So it is what it is. Everybody needed to go with the streamers, but everybody, at least Iger was smart enough to know because I feel like these other CEOs are were in panic mode. Like, Jesus Christ, we lost their saying We're not making any money. We're not making – well, if you had listened to Iger, he told you we're not going to make money. It's yeah. just – I mean – Well, I, yeah, I for sure think like the remaining five will be Disney Plus and Hulu. They're going to be combined. Netflix, Max, and Discovery, they're going to be combined. Peacock and the Paramount Plus with everything they have under the Ether umbrella. I think that's going to be the only ones left. Uh, Apple, Apple's surviving, but they have money to survive. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they're profitable because they don't need it. <laughs> well, again, I mean, we know how tight Apple and Disney Plus are, so I wouldn't be surprised if some point down the line that can that goes underneath another tier as well. So it would be very interesting. It would be. That rumor does not go away. No. That rumor of those two merging is – I don't think it would ever get past the regulators of the government. Yeah. I think they would consider that way too big to happen. But the rumor is persistent and does not go away. And boy, would that be some serious shit. Yeah, I'm just saying. assuming they're, they're – 
could potentially be a bundle here soon. Oh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, Apple, if you already have Apple TV Plus, it's already got, like, I go to into the Apple app, and that's where I go to mm-hmm. Showtime and, and, and all, you know, several Paramount Plus. And so it's already kind of available underneath Apple. I think it only makes sense. I agree with you. At one point, somebody is going to be the only place you can go to get all the streamers. Yeah. yeah. And they'll all team together. There'll be a certain price where everybody splits the profits, but it'll be all one app and you're done and you can access all of the streamers. Yeah, like. it's very interesting. Uh, but like we teased a little bit earlier, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Hopefully everybody went out to the cinemas and check that one out. The conclusion to Marvel's trilogy about the extraterrestrial crew of Misfits yes. kicked off with uh, $118 million in the domestic box office debut. Due to a better than expected turnout Sunday, Monday's final tally was higher than the weekend's estimated of 114 million despite the towering towering figure the film ever so slightly missed expectations of 120 um the and arrived considerably behind its predecessor of guardians of the galaxy volume 2 which debut at 146 million back in 2017. It's a jump on the first Guardians of the Galaxy, which uh, introduced the world to Chris Pratt's Star Lord and his friends. That opened that one opened at 94 million back in 2014. Uh, the international box office of Guardians of the Galaxy three added 170 million from 52 markets, bringing its global tally to 289 million. Now in China, which was once a huge territory. For for Marvel, but has increasingly hostile towards most Hollywood films, and especially the comic book prequel, uh, collected better than expected, though, with $28 million to start. For Volume 3, the next few weeks will be very crucial as the summer movies start to kick off, especially with Fast X coming May 19th, and of course, Little Mermaid a couple weeks after that. Now, Disney's superhero sequel needs to sustain a momentum against those tent poles to avoid the same fate as fellow Marvel installments, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, um, So, which ignited earlier this year to a mighty $106 million before immediately collapsing at the box office. So, yeah, it is going to be very interesting. Those two may be the first ever movies that don't cross a billion. Uh, Yeah, I mean, so, but this idea that, first of all, I wish they would stop making the comparisons, like, failed to match Guardians 2. I don't think it's fair to compare any movie now to pre-pandemic numbers. It's the box office is just not the same. The turnout will, I think it will never be the same. So the constant comparisons to anything pre-pandemic, I just think are ridiculous. And this idea that a movie that opens up worldwide to more than a quarter of a billion dollars <laughs> is a failure? Yeah. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like a quarter of a billion dollars, it, it, that's huge. And while it might not reach a billion dollars, it will be profitable. So, you know, you just, I think everybody needs to lay off this. I, unfortunately, Marvel set their own bar too high. They did. And now everybody's like, if you don't open it 300 million, you're a fucking failure. Yeah. A hundred million is huge. Like anything over a hundred is huge. Yeah. But they ruin themselves with their own bar. It's exactly. like, oops. And does Disney care? Like if it collapses, the one that it's going to be competing with is fucking Little Mermaid, which is also them. Yeah. So they're going to make they're their fine. money no matter what. Yeah, I mean. Exactly. It's fine. 20 years later, y'all, Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis are in talks to reunite for a sequel 
That's right, to the hit body swap comedy, Freaky Friday. The sequel is in the works at Disney, with Lohan and Curtis both expected to reprise their roles as mother-daughter duo Anna and Tess Coleman. Now, Elise Hollander, whose work has been featured on the blacklist, is penning the script. Rumors started circulating about a potential sequel back in February when Jamie Lee posted a photo of her and Lindsay on Instagram with the caption, It's Friday. I'm just saying, freaky fingers crossed. So now it is. It's happening. It was a pretty popular film. This is like the fourth incarnation of it. It's been done numerous times. But this one was the most financially successful, so it makes sense that they're finally doing a sequel. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder how they'll do a sequel to that because it was like a a twist of fate type of thing, Chinese restaurant, you know, fortune cookie type thing. So I wonder, like, you know, how how that'll be approached um well anyway daredevil born again marvel's upcoming revival on the disney on disney plus is the latest new york-based tv series uh whose production has been disrupted by the wga strike wga members on strike set up a uh, sunrise picket at silver cup east where they were supposed to be filming daredevil but members of the teamster local 817 and uh locals 829 and 52 are refusing to cross those picket lines which only makes sense like we said earlier a lot of these unions are standing together yeah which is terrifying because guys they're not even on strike and they're refusing to cross picket lines and work yeah so (laughs) it's gonna get ugly i'll just say it's gonna get ugly hulu this is exciting though because we're both huge fans hulu will serve up season two of the bear on june 22nd now fx announced on social media it was previously revealed that the second season of the chicago-based restaurant dramedy would premiere sometime in june but now we know when starring jeremy allen white as carmen carmi bizarro Yeah, Barzato. Barzato. There you go. The bear follows a young classically trained chef who returns uh, after his brother dies by suicide. Now, the series also stars Ayo Iderebri, Iban Moss, Bacharag, Lionel Boise, Liza Colon-Zayas, Edwin Lee Gibson, Abby Elliott, Corey Hendricks, Maddie Matheson, Richard Asteris, and Jose Cervantes. It's got to be the most complicated cast of named characters I've ever seen in my life. It's true. The Bear Season 2 will be 10 episodes long, two more than the first season, and will focus, of course, if you guys know what the cliffhanger was at the end of it, they're opening a new restaurant. So that's where the focus is going to be is on the new restaurant. I'm excited as hell. If you haven't checked that out, do it. It's a fucking phenomenal show. It is. It really is. Um, Well, the comedy pilot, Deli Boys, has been ordered to series at Onyx Collective on Hulu, with Brian George added as a series regular. Now, 20th Television serves as the studio, created by Adula Shahid, uh, the half-hour 10-episode series stars Azif Ali and Sagar Saka as Mir and Raj Dar, respectively. When their uh, convenience stores uh, magnate father suddenly dies, the pampered Pakistani-American Dar brothers lose everything and are forced to reckon with their uh, Bobby's secret life of crime as they commit to take up his mantle in the underworld. George has been added to the cast as Ahmad and Baba's colleague who has always had an eye on the top spot of the Dark Ho um, and is willing to play whatever game he has to in order to take it. There's no love lost between him and the entitled boys as, as he resents them since birth oh Mm. seems very intense but also uh supposed to be kind of like a comedy so yeah a comedy pilot okay all right Uh, you know (laughs) sounds more like a dramedy but hey 
Uh, jump, let's jump over to Fox. This one was really no surprise either. Animal Control's been renewed for season two at Fox. The renewal, as I said, comes as little surprise given the fact that the show is Fox's first wholly owned live action comedy. I can't believe that. Yeah. But they own it outright. Now, per Fox, if you haven't seen it, the show's premiere was the network's most streamed scripted debut ever, drawing an estimated four and a half million viewers across all platforms in its first three days of availability. Most recently, the network canceled the drama series Fantasy Island and the multi-cam comedy Call Me Cat. So um, I'm not surprised by those cancellations either. No, I'm not either. And yeah, that one seemed to be pretty popular, especially on Hulu. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, whether or not you can say his name three times, well... Beetlejuice is returning to movie theaters next year. Warner Brothers has announced that Beetlejuice 2 will be released on the big screen on September 6th of 2024. It opens the same day as Marvel's Blade, which should be very interesting. Uh, of course, the adventure starring Mashallah Ali. Otherwise, there's not much currently on the release calendar in the surrounding weeks. There's little information available about the follow-up to Tim Burton's 1988 film about a pesky poltergeist but the filmmaker is returning with Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice, Winona Ryder as Linda Dettas, and uh, additional cast members include Jenna Ortega, the daughter of going to be Winona's character, as well as Justin Thoreau, and yet to be a re- unrevealed role. So that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Great guy, though. So super excited about that. Production is expected to commence in London on May 10th. Yeah, so, so it's already underway. Yeah, a lot of people are excited about it. Oh my god, I'm just going to go on the record and say it right now, and I guarantee this will happen. Marvel will shift Blade's date. Mm. They'll blame the production delays, because as you guys know, it's on delay again. They'll blame that, but they are going to shift that date, because they will get trampled. I'm just going to say it. They will get trampled by Beetlejuice, because that has a call. And Marvel will not be willing to break its unprecedented record of every Marvel movie opening at number one. And yep. if it opens on the same day as Beetlejuice, that record will be snapped. No way Disney does it. Yep. They will be moving that date, <laughs> I guarantee you. Um, listen to me if you're not, Feige and, and Iger. Move that date. Don't break your fucking record. Jason Statham comes face-to-face with not one... Not two, but three deep-sea-dwelling prehistoric sharks, along with some giant-ass creatures with a bunch of tentacles, in the first official trailer for Meg 2, The Trench. Mm. Shortly after the Meg grossed $530 million worldwide in 2018, a sequel was confirmed. The original film followed a group of scientists whose... Oh, excuse me, Submarine was attacked by uh, Megal- Megalodon, Megalodon, there you go, I knew I could say it, a species of giant shark previously thought to be extinct. Now, Warner Brothers has pulled back the curtain on the film after debuting its first trailer ahead of the movie's August 4th premiere. The new footage unveils Statham teaming up with Wu Jing, a massive star in China, who has starred in blockbusters such as The Wandering Earth, Wolf Warrior, and The Battle of Lake Changin. The pair lead an underwater journey to the bottom of the ocean to investigate new creatures before taking on a trio of sharks at a tourist destination at sea level. Of course, plenty of folks end up in the Jaws. Meg 2 will star Jason Statham, of course, we, Cliff Curtis, Sienna Guillory, Skylar Samuels, Paige Kennedy, uh, and a whole bunch more, you guys. Um, the Meg, I, I don't understand this one. I mean, 
it was okay. It's just a cheap knockoff of Jaws. So to make half a billion dollars, I was shocked it made that much money. And then I just want to say, see, this is the comparison I'm talking about. This one is greenlit sequel immediately because it made more than half a billion dollars. Guardians is going to easily make more than half a billion, but yeah. they're calling it a failure. <laughs> so if you're a Marvel movie, the bar is here. If you're everything else, the bar is yeah. here. I'm just saying. Yeah, like, it's the world we live in, man. Yeah, I never saw that one, so I don't know. Oh, uh, it's it's yeah, it's a cheap knockoff of Jaws. It's there. It's, it's there. there. Um, well, Ava DuVernay has ended her rich overall deal with Warner Brothers Television Group. While the news of this decision comes amid the writer's strike, the contract talks were unrelated, though. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, DuVernay's deal was set to expire May 31st, and the two parties came to a mutual decision not to renew. DuVernay signed a multi-year agreement back in 2018, which was reported to be valued around $100 million. Following the party's successful collaboration on Owns Queen Sugar, which signed off last year after seven seasons. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. And the Emmy-winning um, and Academy-nominated filmmaker is set to make an executive produce a half-hour romantic drama for stars starring Jessica ja- Joshua Jackson and uh, Lauren Rildolf. Mm. Uh, the series had regular begun production in Wilmington, North Carolina, but has since then been put on pause due to the writer's strike. So... Sounds like a whole bunch of BS. Oh, yeah. And you can't tell me that that ending of her deal was not because of everything going down. Totally. Hey, HBO is bringing back its most beloved ultra-rich adult children fighting for the family business. We're talking, of course, about Gemstones. Danny McBride's absurdist megachurch comedy returns for season three on June 18th as the righteous Gemstones unveiled the first trailer for the next installment. The high-octane teaser clip features monster trucks, high-speed racing, and none other than Steve Zahn, who appears to play a well-dressed rival to Jesse, Judy, and Kelvin Gemstone, played respectively, of course, by Danny McBride, Edie Patterson, and Adam Devine. That is a crazy show with a huge following, so I know a lot of people are really excited about it. It is a very crazy and huge show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just wild. If you haven't watched it yet, it is hilarious and do not take it too seriously. The Winchesters has been canceled just after one season at the CW with the network also canceling the reboot of Kung Fu after three seasons. This marks the latest cancellations at the CW. We've been talking about this one for the past while with the network previously canceling Walker Independence. uh, Now Walker, meanwhile, has been renewed for the next season. So the flagship one is good to go. And as the high school football drama, all Americans, excuse me. Um, the show follows All American Homecoming. Superman and Lois and Gotham Knights are still awaiting word on their fates, though none are expected to continue at this time. And I know Jensen Ackles is trying to figure out what to do with the Winchesters. He's shopping that thing around. So oh, yeah. We'll and see. I mean, that following is massive. So the Save yeah. the Winchesters could potentially be as successful as Save Daredevil. I don't know, but it's a huge following. It is. So, um, and I just recently read this morning, too, that the CW is talking about only keeping one DC show, either Gotham Knights or Superman and Lois. And it's leaning towards, and I can't fucking believe this, but it's leaning towards Gotham Knights because it's cheap. And apparently Superman and Lois is very expensive per episode to shoot, which makes sense because the graphics are fucking unreal and the CG effects and they're amazing. But are you fucking kidding me? Zaslav just got paid, though. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, He just got a nice little 
chunk of money and he's about to do all these parties and shit but yeah they're they're cutting everything that's good oh so. yeah and these guys are taking money wait until we jump oh we're well we're jumping to paramount there's a story in here too about a cancellation that's about money which is fucking unreal but somebody's got to save superman and lois even gunn said he would like to see it continue another yeah. couple seasons and he's fucking working on a superman film so it's so good yeah. the story they actually had an episode this season that was an entire episode without a single appearance of superman mm. It was Clark the whole time. And it was one of the highest rated of the season. It's so real. They're dealing with cancer. Lois has cancer this season. And they're dealing with her and chemo. Mm. And like all of the different... It's, it's so fucking good. Don't let that show die, man. Yeah. I just feel like Next Star better not fuck that up. Save that one, man. Yeah, seriously, seriously. Well, uh, Paramount had layoffs hit 25% of employees across Showtime, MTV, Entertainment Studios, and Paramount Media Network groups in the U.S. this past week. Following months of internal uh, deliberations and, and interrogations amid Showtime's rebranding into Paramount Plus with Showtime, like we were talking about earlier, additionally, uh, MTV News, which was significant significant effect uh, significantly affected by layoffs more than five years ago will be completely shut down mm. uh other units uh most are operational um they will some will be shuttered as well these cuts come four months after showtime laid off 120 employees while merging into mtv entertainment studios as part of the overall paramount plus with showtime strategy that's terrifying i uh, remember how popular mtv used to be and now it's just like an entertainment studio and like doesn't really do anything like that yeah it's yeah. crazy well it, it the demise of mtv started when the m went away yeah. it was fucking music television and music went away they weren't even showing music videos anymore it's yeah. fucking ridiculous i mean that oh well speaking of fucking ridiculous swat has been renewed for season seven at cbs which will also be the show's last season now the move marks a stunning reversal of the network's decision to cancel the show earlier this week mm. yeah you heard me right on monday it was canceled Yesterday, it's Brack. Like, it's fucking ridiculous. Now, according to sources, talks continued between CBS and the series co-producer Sony Pictures Television over the weekend following the cancellation announcement. The show has been a solid performer for CBS in its Friday night time slot, with the decision ultimately coming down to the show's financials. In addition to the renewal, series star Shamar Moore will serve as an executive producer on the final season. Mm, very interesting, man. Very interesting. I know that's a hit one um well cbs has canceled both police procedural shows uh east new york and true lies after just one season according to sources the decision to cancel the series came down to cbs haggling with the series studio warner brothers television over the show budget which included cbs asking uh the cast to show to not get the consumer pay uh our customary customary pay increases uh going into the second season yeah sounds like zasloff just didn't want to pay it like <laughs> what the fuck is with that like like i don't understand true lies i didn't i didn't even watch i thought why are we doing a true lies television show the movie was epic we didn't need but fucking east new york was a brilliant show it was yeah. brilliantly written the cast is phenomenal it was the second highest rated new show behind uh um fire country yeah. and was doing well in the ratings so you're telling me it was canceled because they didn't want to pay the the cast a customary raise that everybody gets in the second season are you fucking kidding me they are actively trying to to shop that show somewhere else i think it would fit in brilliantly on nbc in in, in a law and order type 
area, right? They love fucking crime procedurals on NBC. I think it's a it's a good fit. Please, Dick Wolf, save that show. It'd be fucking amazing. Um, CBS, this one's pretty awesome. CBS is supersizing two of its signature reality franchises. Survivor and The Amazing Race will permanently expand the 90-minute episodes next season. CBS will head into the fall with a primetime schedule that looks pretty much nearly identical to the one it's currently running. The Wednesday switch to just Survivor and The Amazing Race, for example, simply takes the night's current 10 p.m. inhabitant, the canceled True Lies, out of the equation. Now, last fall, CBS opened the season with three reality shows on that night. Survivor, The Real Love Boat, and The Amazing Race. So an all-reality Wednesday is not uncommon for the network. Nor are expanded 90-minute editions of Survivor or The Amazing Race. But up until now, those were reserved for special moments like premieres or finales. So... Every episode is going to be 90 minutes now. That's awesome. I don't like it. I just feel like that's too long. Like, that's a movie. <laughs> Why are we watching a movie? Well, you know what? I think it's going to be more of the behind-the-scenes drama stuff. You're going to get Maybe. more of the testimonials, more yeah, things like it'll that. It'll be interesting to see how that goes over. Yeah, because, I mean, it's hard to fit in a 45-minute show, for me at least. So no, it's I mean, like, you're right. You're it's not... going to be, yeah, I, I'm going I'm to see how the fans react to that one. But yeah, Real we'll see people how break goes. it up. Will they watch 45 minutes and then come back the next day and watch 45 minutes? That's a good point. Who knows? Uh, Well, Justin Hartley is headed back to the Super Bowl. Hartley's new CBS drama, Tracker, has landed the best lead-in imaginable for a series premiere. The show has landed uh, the COVID post-Super Bowl slot next season, launching behind Super Bowl whatever the fuck that is (laughs) on Sunday, February 11th of 2024. It was a Roman numeral. That's what that was. That was. Um, In premiering Tracker after the Super Bowl, CBS continues its return to the once common practice of using the biggest night on TV to launch a new series. The last time CBS ran the game in 2021, the network premiered the Equalizer behind the Super Bowl. And it worked. The Equalizer is still on the air and not yet been canceled. So kudos to them. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, I like that they said it was a once common practice because back in my day, like every time, whatever network was airing the Super Bowl, they always had their premiere of like mm. a brand new show yeah. behind it. And it was massively successful. The A-Team, like all kinds of huge shows premiered after Super Bowl. So it just makes sense. Super excited about both of these for huge reasons. CBS has ordered three shows. Notice I said both. Not so sure about the third one. They've ordered three shows. Matlock, super excited. Elsbeth, super excited. And Papa's House, not sure yet. To (laughs) series for the 2023-2024 broadcast season. Now, Kathy Bates, he didn't get out of the cock-a-dirty car. She was just on our top five list. She was. Will star and executive produce the Matlock reboot, which follows a now successful Madeline Matlock as she rejoins the workforce at a prestigious law firm where she uses her unassuming demeanor and wily tactics to win cases and expose corruption from within. Now, this is why we're really excited. The series also stars two of our all-time favorite calf guests, Sky P. Marshall as Olympia and the one and only Jason Ritter as Julian. Now, David Del Rio and Leah Lewis also star. Also coming from CBS Studios is Elsbeth. I fucking love this, uh, which is based on the character featured in The Good Wife and The Good Fight. Now, the official logline reads, 
after her successful career in Chicago, Elsbeth Tassioni, uh, played by the adorable Carrie Preston, just genius, an astute but unconventional attorney, utilizes her singular point of view to make unique observations and corner brilliant criminals alongside the NYPD. Carrie Preston, of course, stars as Elsbeth. Wendell Pierce as Captain C.W. Wagner. Now, Carrie Patterson uh, as Officer Kaya. Okay. Oh, I'm scared about that. Now let's jump to Papa's House, which I'm not sure about yet, but it sounds like it could potentially be pretty fucking funny. Papa's House is a multi-camera comedy hailing from Damon Wayans Sr. and his son, Damon Jr. The series follows legendary talk show host and happily divorced Papa, played by Damon, whose point of views are challenged at home where he still parents his adult son, Junior, played by Damon Wayans Jr., and at work when a new female co-host is hired. Now, Junior is described as a brilliant dreamer who is trying to pursue his passion while being a responsible father and husband. Joining the father-son duo is Essence Atkins and Tatona Jackson as Ivy and Nina. So excited. Yeah, they got some good stuff in the can, it seems like. So, I mean, I mean hopefully yeah. they don't cancel that after one season. Did you ever see, like, any of The Good Wife mm-hmm. or Good Fight? Elsbeth is one of the most creative, best, well-written characters ever created for television. Nice. And Carrie Preston plays her fucking brilliantly. I could not be more happy that she is getting a show on it, because it's fucking great. That's awesome. Well-deserved, yeah. man. Well-deserved. Well, heading over to NBC Universal. did you guys see? A brand new trailer for Oppenheimer came out. The upcoming film from, of course, Christopher Nolan, who was on the picket line uh, this past week. Yep. Uh, it's going to be released by Universal Pictures, and in anticipation of the feature's film that comes out in July, the set to a dramatic score of Ludwig Grossian, um, and the new newly dropped teaser officially are offers a closer look at the key players of the Manhattan Project as portrayed by the star stubbed cast including of course Killian Murphy, Florence Pugh, Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr., Matt Damon, Leslie Groves Jr., um, Tom Conti and who briefly appears to be a sombering Albert Einstein. Now Oppenheimer centers around the legacy of J. Robert Oppenheimer who is played by Murphy if you you guys don't know and if you don't where the fuck have you been right um who has been cited as the inventor of the atomic bomb based on the autobiographical novel american prometheus prometheus um the triumph and tragedy of j robert oppenheimer the film follows the um physicist physicist as he works alongside a team of government scientists to develop the nuclear weapons in the early 1940s other actors confirmed to be appearing in the film include rami malik kenneth Bragg. Uh, Benny uh, Sadi, uh, Dane Hahn, Jack Quaid, Matthew Modine, should have been SAG after, Aldine Etridge, Josh Peck, Jason Clark, David, uh, D- wow, that's the last name, uh-huh. uh, Dasamechin, there you go, uh, Alex Wolf, Gary Oldman, and James Arch- Darkey. That's a lot of people, man, but I'm super excited about that one. Um, sadly, I don't think it's going to be a box office success, but I feel like it'll be a really good fucking film that people should fucking see. It'll be an Oscar contender, and I oh, wouldn't yeah. be surprised at all if they re-release it towards the end of the year for Oscar should. contention. And that na- that cast, did you hear all those names? Are you guys kidding me? It's like damn near every A-lister in Hollywood is in this film. Yeah. And you know who cast it? Another one of our all-time favorite Calf guests, uh, the Mr. Legendary casting director, John Papsidera, which, I mean... <laughs> 
kudos. Yes. Because that to assemble that cast is fucking insane. So that's crazy. oh my gosh. This is really cool. Even though I can't stand these movies, they should have ended ages ago. And I'm hoping this is the last one. I don't know. But this is a very nice tribute and kudos to Vin for making this happen. Meadow Walker Thornton Allen, daughter of the late Fast and Furious star Paul Walker, was literally born into the Fast family. She was like like one, maybe just under one when the first one came out. Um she is now going to make her first on-screen appearance in Fast X. Walker shared a behind-the-scenes photo on Instagram teasing her appearance in the Universal movie, which appears to take place on a plane. Now, Fast X is set to make its world premiere in Rome today, actually. Paul Walker died in a single car crash, if you don't remember, in 2013 at 40 years old. In the 10 years since his death, the Fast franchise has continued to pay tribute to both the actor and his character, Brian O'Connor, the undercover cop turned outlaw. Furious 7 marked Paul Walker's final on-camera appearance in the franchise, and his brothers, Caleb and Cody, actually stood in to complete his remaining scenes. After a heartwarming send-off, Brian's present is still alluded to in the franchise's subsequent installments, 2017's Fate of the Furious and 2021's F9, The Fast Saga. Um, in the latest film, the character reappears via flashbacks to 2011's Fast Five, making Meadows' inclusion even all the more touching. I think it is a nice tribute. It is, it is. I mean, eh, it really should have ended with C- uh, 7 with that being the send-off, but now they're saying something about not, uh, 11. I know, like, and they Jesus said for Christ. sure. I mean, they have said numerous times that 10 would be 10 the would final. 10 would be the one. But yeah. apparently not. Uh, just, these people, man, these people. Uh, I mean, who else can you add to the freaking cast? I don't That's know. the thing. You it's got John like... Cena. You got fucking Brie Larson. You got Charlize Theron. You have, like, Gal Gadot. Yeah, Jason like, Momoa. Jason like... Momoa. Like, Jason Statham. Like, I, yeah, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> a new buddy comedy from Please Don't Destroy the Writing Trio of Saturday Night Live. Fame will no longer play in theaters. Oh. Instead, the untitled movie will premiere exclusively on Peacock, the streaming service owned by NBC Universal on um, November 17th. The story centers on three childhood friends who live together and live and work together. When the threesome decides that they don't like their life trajectory, they set off to find a gold treasure that is being rumored to be buried in the nearby mountain. They discover that the finding that the treasure that is actually the easiest part of the adventure. Universal uh, didn't give a reason for the move from theaters to streaming, but it's been a tough environment for theatrical comedies. So, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, you know, we'll it see does. how that goes. If I'm not mistaken, and if I am, our producer will call us out on it because he loves to do that. But I'm pretty sure this is the one that shot here in Charlotte with mm. Conan O'Brien. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the one because I remember the storyline and I remember that they are the ones who were directing a film here. Oh, okay. So, uh, that's cool. we'll see. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, for the past two seasons, Kelly Clarkson has filmed her talk show's premiere weeks in New York City, but now she's taking her show to the Big Apple for good. The Kelly Clarkson Show will move production from the Universal lot in Los Angeles to NBC Studios in 30 Rockefeller Plaza in New York for next season. The talk show will film in front of a studio audience in the iconic Studio 6A, which has been host to Jimmy Fallon and, speaking of, Conan O'Brien and David Letterman. 
A new state-of-the-art studio will be built for Clarkson's show, as well as technical facility and support space. Now, the East Coast move for the talk show follows the expansion of New York Film's tax credit, which was recently signed into law by Governor Kathy Hochu in the fiscal year of 2024. As part of the program's expansion, the state now provides incentives to eligible television productions that relocate to New York and reduces the eligibility requirements to talk and variety shows from five years of filming to two years. Nice. So it makes sense. They're going to save money. They're making the jump. She films there anyway. So it just seems like common sense. Yeah, exactly. It also seems to me like that cements the fact she's definitely not coming back to the voice. Yeah. Because they still, unless she's going to get frequent flyer miles. Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. You never know, man. Well, Lionsgate, the long-awaited stars drama Heels, yes. will soon be over. Season two of the series starring Stephen Amell and Alexander Ludwig will premiere Friday, July 28th um, at 9 p.m. Central Time. Additionally, the episode will be available at midnight for stars app users. The streamer has also revealed some new photos from the upcoming season season one which aired back in 2021 ended with jackson ace exchanging real blows in the ring and crystal becoming the dwl's first female champion i love the direction they're going with this storyline it's so damn good and it's such good acting in this thing and oh. uh growing up with wrestling it's like fucking all around an amazing show yeah and i'm glad it's finally coming back they literally shot season two right after season one ended two years ago and yeah. it's been in the can mm. just waiting to come out like what all the stars were even like like what the fuck we yeah. finished this thing a year and a half ago where the fuck is it so i'm super pumped it's coming back right um minx season two has also uh gotten an official premiere date at stars now that the period comedy has officially moved over from hbo max the second season will premiere on july 21st at midnight on the stars app app and all stars streaming and on-demand platforms now on linear it will debut on stars at 9 p.m eastern in the u.s and canada the first season is currently available to stream on the stars app minx of course if you don't know is set in the 1970s los angeles and per its official description the series centers around joyce an earnest young feminist who joins forces with a low-rent publisher to create the first erotic magazine for women Ooh. Interesting. In season two, Doug and Joyce grapple with Minx's explosive success, which brings more money, fame, and temptation than either of them know how to handle. So it's a very interesting genre that no one really ever talks about. The er erotic novel genre. Yeah I, I, yeah. I mean, you know, very interesting. And I love that they're making like what a show about it, a movie about it. No, show. Uh, yeah, show. show. Uh so, well, and yeah. if you're a fan of uh uh um uh uh what's your face? Uh what's that show um uh, yeah, that show. It'll come back to me. Yeah. It'll come back to Are me. You the one on Netflix? No. Okay. No. All right. No. Well, Amazon MGM, Ben Affleck's Air, we love this movie so much. We updated you when it's going to happen. Well, now it has officially happened. It's on freaking Prime Video. You can watch it right now. Yes. It, it debuted April 5th to more than 350,000 screens, 300,000 screens. <laughs> 3,500 There you screens, go. Which marked an unprecedented theatrical release for Amazon. As the studio affirmed its billion-dollar commitment to making movies for the big screen, the film is produced by Amazon Studios, Skydance Sports, and Mandalay Pictures. And it's the inaugural project from Affleck and Damon's Artist Equity. Now, directed by Affleck and scripted by Alex Convery, um... 
Air tells the story of the Nike basketball division. Um, signed then NBA rookie Michael Jordan into a historic partnership that uh, revolutionized the world of endorsement deals with the creation of Air Jordan's brand. Now, Damon stars as Maverick Nike executive uh, Sony Vark Verco, uh, who scouted Jordan for the deal, and Affleck as Nike's co-owner Phil Knight and Viola Davis portraying Jordan's mother Dolores. To date, Air has grossed uh, 74.7 million worldwide with praise from audiences with an A cinema score and critics alike. So it only makes sense. Oh my gosh! And do yourselves a favor, watch this movie. So I think we both agree it's the best movie of the year so far and with only 74 million worldwide nobody's seen it yeah it's the best movie of the year and nobody has seen it make sure you're streaming it on i hope they re-release it around oscar time so it can get nominated because i feel like it would oh uh, totally i totally agree definitely ben affleck for best director yeah and damon for actor i think both of them should get a nomination without doubt and it was the new girl New Girl. If you like Jake Johnson as Nick on New Girl, you'll love him on Minx. Like, uh, I was like, why can't I think of the name of that fucking show? That's hilarious. But there you go. Thank you, IMDb. There it, it is. It is the Bible. Prime Video has slated the premiere date for the fourth and, unfortunately, final season of Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, the espionage action series which stars the one and only John Krasinski as the CIA spy, will premiere the first two episodes of its final season on June 30th. Two episodes will be released weekly thereafter with the finale of the six-episode season debuting on Prime Video on July 14th. Now, the new episodes of Jack Ryan come Come to the streamer only six months after the third season debuted in December. Prime Video debuted all eight episodes of season three simultaneously over the winter, but has shifted back to the weekly release structure for the final season. The series was renewed for a fourth season prior to airing episodes of the third. It is a wildly popular series, and Krasinski, everybody loves him, so. It only makes sense. It only makes sense. Well, head over to Netflix. Stranger Things has halted works on its final season. No fucking shit. As the series (laughs) co-creators and co showrunners the duffer brothers known as the duffer brothers shared a statement announcing that the starting production is not possible during the ongoing uh, writers guild of america strike the duffer brothers issued a statement from the stranger things uh, twitter account which has offered Stranger Things fans a glimpse into the series' writer's room over the years. Writing on the fifth and final season commenced back in August of 2022, shortly after the fourth season premiered. (laughs) Representatives for Netflix were not immediately available for comment, as most of the streamed series of 2022 Stranger Things now a growing group of Netflix series, uh, such as Big Mouth and Cobra Kai, Facing delays and production pauses amid the writer strike, the original Stranger Things concludes fans can expect an animated series set with Stranger Things World, um, which is set to be produced by the Duffer Brothers as well, as long along with Sean Levy and Dan Cohen. Yeah, the biggest gripe I have with the Duffer Brothers is they don't write while they're shooting, so like they literally finish shooting. And then start writing. I'm yeah. Like, oh my God, you gotta wait so fucking long. Yeah, and now even longer because they're on strike. <laughs> Netflix released a trailer for a new documentary about the life and career of Arnold Schwarzenegger. It, it looks really good. The three-part series Arnold chronicles the action icon's bodybuilding success, Hollywood box office rise, and political career as yeah. the governor of California. Mm-hmm. Now the official description reads as follows: This three-part documentary series chronicles Arnold Schwarzenegger's journey from the countryside 
outside of Austria to the highest echelons of the American dream. In a series of candid interviews, Schwarzenegger, his friends, foes, co-stars, and observers cover everything from his days pumping iron to his triumphs in Hollywood, his time governing the state of California, and both the joys and turbulence of his family life in a tale that matches his larger-than-life persona. The documentary debuts this week right on the heels of Netflix's release of Schwarzenegger's first TV series, the action comedy FUBAR, which will be released May 25th. Now, in the meantime, the streamer has loaded up on some other of Schwarzenegger's film catalog, including Conan the Barbarian, Twins, and The Last Action Hero. Did you so, watch the trailer? I did. Uh, uh, it I, looks it amazing. Me, it got me really excited. Like, Arnold Schwarzenegger was one that I used to watch a lot of his movies with my grandfather, so that's like a core memory for me. And I I just feel like, you know, being able to him being as transparent about his life as possible and, you know, the hidden child and all that shit with the maid. And I just feel like, you know, I, I like Arnold. I don't give a fuck. I mean, you know, he owns his shit. So that's good. Well, yeah, I, I'm thrilled that they are not shying away from the marriage to Maria Shriver. And like, you know, because that was contentious anyway. Everybody thought, what the fuck? He's marrying a Kennedy and he's a fucking Republican. And yeah. like, how's that going to? And so that was like a fairy tale type thing to begin with. And then, like you said, the hidden child in the affair and like all i'm glad because sometimes with these things they sugarcoat and move past that and he's gonna dive into it which is probably in all likelihood the biggest controversy of his whole career and yeah i mean to be honest because i I don't remember anything else like bad coming out about him no i mean you know he was kind of an arrogant pompous ass during his bodybuilding days but who the fuck isn't when you're bodybuilding yeah and that man was taken a shit ton of steroids (laughs) there's no way he was not come on um well heading over to apple apple tv has released the first trailer for the crowded room a psychological thriller series starring tom holland amanda seifeld and emmy rossum wow based on the true crimes of uh billy milligan the show was created by uh, Akiva Goldsman, who wrote the 2020 or the 21 2001 film A Beautiful Mind, and it is inspired by Daniel Key's 1981 nonfiction novel uh, The Minds of Billy Milligan. Uh, set in the heat of Manhattan in the summer of 1979, the crowded room follows the arrest of Danny Sullivan, who's played by Holland, for his uh, involvement in the shooting at the Rockefeller Center. Danny works uh, with investigators Raya Goldwyn, who's played by uh, Seyfried, uh, who leads him to recall the past, the past that drove him to commit the crimes. Holland's character is said to be loosely based on Milligan, who in 1979 was arrested for the rape of three women on a Ohio State campus. Now, the first three episodes are set to premiere June 9th on Apple TV Plus, and um, episodes will be airing weekly. So stay tuned for that. Did you see him? He talks about this role. Apparently, he got very dark and very depressed and very like it it caused him a lot of problems and he just came out and said that he's been sober for a year but he's been battling alcoholism and and a a lot of it it this was heavy and he got really dark and and it tormented it it affected his personal life i don't know what that means during that time with Zendaya or, or all that. But uh, kudos to him for coming forward. That's like twice now. We had Jason Ritter and now Tom Holland who are coming forward and saying, I'm an alcoholic and I've been battling alcoholism and I've been sober for this long, but it's a thing. And it just goes to show you, and I, 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 I just wanted to say it, it, kudos, because a lot of people think when you have money, everything's fine. 
You know, you can have fame, you can have celebrity, you can have money. It doesn't mean you don't have shit in your life that causes some problems. And and turning to alcohol, many people do. And and I just like to see people come forward and say, "Me too. I've I'm there too." Yeah. So well, uh, I definitely feel like this was around the time where he took his little social media sabbatical. So that, yeah, I mean, that makes yeah. complete sense. But man, oh man. Let's let's lighten up a little bit because we have the one and only Will Martinez yes. coming on the show. We're super freaking excited about it. Talk about all this stuff that's going on right now in his life. We got we're talking about his favorite restaurants in New York. We're talking about all of these different things. Maybe he's a Nick fan. Who knows? I mean, with everything that's going on right now. Um, but man, I'm super excited. This guy is so nice, so humble, and a great up and comer to tell the reality of what it means to be an actor in this industry and also to have a backup plan he yeah. talks briefly about that too which is great and i love how he said let's lighten it up we're gonna dive into a uh, love triangle and how he busted that shit up yeah like the- <laughs> exactly so it's good. gonna be great it's gonna be great well here he is will martinez welcome inside the crazy ant farm man how are you I'm good. How you guys doing? Oh, dude, we're doing fantastic. We are super pumped to be talking to you. One, you're a young guy. You're getting it done. You're, you're making it happen, living the dream. And two, this guy's Grey's Anatomy. I'm Law and Order, and you've done both. So we're both pretty excited to talk to you about being in those worlds. And so we're definitely going to jump all into that. I think that's going to be a really interesting conversation. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. But what we like to do at first is just kind of do an introduction for all of our listeners out there who might not be familiar with you and, and talk about how you kind of got started and everything. Um, acting, dude, was it something you kind of knew you always wanted to do from an early age, or did you kind of fall into it? What was What was the path of getting into it? Yeah, no, uh, it's something I always knew I wanted to do. Ever since I was younger, well, ever since I was a little kid, uh, <laughs> I loved I loved movies. I used to watch Lion King on VHS and then rewind it and stand there and rewatch the whole thing. Hell yeah. Wow, I, yeah. I knew, I knew like every word from it. And then uh, my cousins were big Jim Carrey fans, so mm. we would always watch The Mask. And <laughs> I used to just try to imitate everything he said. Oh, and, yeah. You know, watching him play different characters and all that, I found it interesting, and then I started kind of you know, asking, what is that? What is he doing? And then I started learning more. And then I started looking into like the old school OGs, like De Niro, Pacino, and I really started falling in love with it. And then uh, eventually I lived in New York, took some classes here, but we moved to Pennsylvania mm-hmm. when I was around 10 or 11. And uh, my mother, she put me into the local theater. And then I did all the theater in my middle school. And that's really where it kind of solidified everything for me. Oh, for sure. And yeah. I mean, they they really say like theater is where you grow your chops. That's where you start to like experiment with different things, figure out what you're comfortable with, what you can step outside the box with. I went, that's very interesting too, because we talk to a lot of guests who get their start in theater and they talk about that transition between theater and film and television, how it sometimes can be a little difficult because you know, you're trying to overperform because you're trying to reach that person in the very back row. So was it kind of interesting for you as well or did you get the hang of it yeah no it definitely was interesting i had a little bit of film experience because on the side i would do like commercials here and there Mm -hmm. but um my freshman year of high school i was cast in a film and i had a lead role in first movie in that area that was shot i was super excited by by that but i had just primarily done theater so it was a little bit of an adjustment you know everything's a lot smaller the camera catches a lot more than the audience can that's sitting 10, 20 feet back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's definitely an adjustment where you have to kind of ground it a little bit more. But I, there's something about it, film TV that I love the kind of authentic rawness of it. Mm. And 
the camera can kind of catch everything. Mm. And sometimes it's up to the audience to decide what that means. But, you know, you can be thinking like they're going to think they're going to think that my character is thinking this and all that. But they might think of something completely different. And I think that's that's cool. Oh, that's very cool. And so so doing the theater, though, and, and but you could just tell. So the, the, your eyes light up when you say film and television. So even though you had done some theater and started in theater, the goal was always film and television for you. Always. Yeah. Yeah. Always. <laughs> yeah. Since I was younger, I always knew that that's uh, what I wanted to be in film, TV. Yeah, I loved movies growing up. That was that's always been the dream. So no, none of that run into the I'm going to be go back to New York and be on Broadway. <laughs> I was like, no, film and television. Yeah, film and TV was always yeah. That's <laughs> I mean, definitely will dabble in theater and stuff, but I haven't in a while. Mm-hmm. But film and TV is definitely the. I love that, and that's so interesting too because you said your first role when you were 14. How did that even come about? Because I mean, we are privy to you know the whole social media day and age where there's like Facebook groups where there are like indie film sets where you can get on really easy. But how did what was your experience? Did you like find an agent? Did you come across somebody that was shooting a film and like, hey, you look kind of cool, you could be in this thing? How did that happen? Yeah, so I uh, had an agent out in Pennsylvania. It was like a local agency. Okay. And I had worked with them even when I was doing theater. Like I would sometimes in my middle school leave to go to auditions and things like that. And then my freshman year, uh, the agency, I hadn't heard from them for a while, but they hit me up and said, there's this local film being shot. Uh, They're interested in your look. So then I went and auditioned. And I actually auditioned three times for the role. Oh, wow. Eventually told me that I didn't get it. Mm Mm-hmm. So they told me I got it first. Then they told me they went in a different direction. And then two weeks later, they were like, we want to see you one more time. And I auditioned again and eventually ended up getting it. So that was a whole roller coaster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it, man. It really does. And I mean, being at that stage in your life, too, I feel like, you know, you got to have a good support system. So it sounds like your family was like behind you 100%. So and I feel like in this industry specifically, that's very important because we like to we like to say there's a lot of selection instead of rejection. Um, so to have those people that you can fall back on and to have those conversations with like, you know, what do you think would be best or, you know, I'm just feeling this way and listen and like all these different things. So it sounds like your family was really in tuned with what you were doing. Yeah, they uh, they always have been supportive. And when I would have these school plays, all my family from New York as well would come down and everybody would stay over in my house. So the support has always been there. And uh, when I've been able when I've been struggling, they've always been there to help. And yeah, it is a difficult industry so to have you know a backbone like that to kind of support is huge yeah well and and just i'm, I'm sitting here thinking like 14 and you you were immediately thrown into that machine of no you got it no you didn't we went in yeah. you got it wait a minute huh. i mean at 14 it's hard enough as a grown-ass adult to try to deal with the rejection of getting it or not getting it but then when you have to roll that roller coaster at 14 going hey i'm so excited i got oh no like, oh, shit, well, i didn't shit. get it oh well yeah i did get it and it's like that the mental aspect of that at 14 is insane so that's awesome that you that you I guess, you know, early on figured out this is the industry. This is what I'm going for. And if you made it through at 14, you're going to be all right. And you're going to kind of do that. That's fantastic. So, all right. I, I want to talk about because you are a young guy, but you've already been in 
the universes of two of the largest franchises uh, in television, right? Dick Wolf with Law and & Order and, and, and Shonda with Grey's Anatomy. Somehow, you have appeared in both of those already significantly. Talk about that because, you know, when you start off and you're 14 and it's a feature film and it's kind of an indie film and you're kind of – and then you walk onto the set of these machines because, like, at this point, they are just – machine they're automatic right it's a world that's built they're 20 years in or 17 years in etc talk about what that was like to be on those sets and the differences that that you saw between that and coming from the the world of like indie starting off early kind of stuff talk about that yeah uh everything runs a lot smooth a lot more smoothly <laughs> on these sets uh, you know you go on set and you know exactly kind of how everything's going to run. Well, not exactly how you know how your preparation and your day is going to set up, like where you have to go to the trailer, where you can go for, you know, snacks, what time is lunch and all that. Once you get on set, they want you to just be prepared for your, for your, you know, uh, for your stuff. Right. For sure. And so that's, that was a little, cause everybody there is professional. So it's like, all right, we're gonna roll. We need you to do this. Got it. All right, cool. Let's go. Run it. And everything moves really fast. So you gotta be uh, quick on your feet. Uh, with the indie film, like in comparison, yeah, you do have more time. But sometimes you feel like you were wearing a lot of hats as well. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And you didn't always have those answers. It's like, yeah, we might have lunch later. Uh, we don't know exactly where we're staying because we're gonna shoot at this one place, and we really don't have a permit, so let's just get it real <laughs> let's quick. try to get in and out there real quick. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's so funny. Well, I mean, coming from the Grey's Anatomy side, it's uh, it's kind of a new era in that whole space yeah. because they're trying to not retire the old characters, but kind of have them take a back seat to this younger generation that is coming up and which, you know, Grey's Anatomy is very soap opera is very love triangle. And you were caught yeah. right in the middle of one of those love triangles. Um, <laughs> and so that was very interesting because, you know, you started to see these, uh, for the people who've watched it since the beginning, you started to see these resemblance, uh, resemblances of like Derek and Meredith starting to come together in this younger crop of actors and characters. And now you have this guy who's kind of getting in the middle of that or was technically there first and then yeah. kind of, you know, just came back into it. So that was a very interesting thing. And I just. Your performance in the show was absolutely amazing. It was one of those roles where you're like, I kind of want to dislike this guy, but at the same time, he's coming off very like <laughs> Joe Cool type of situation. So, I mean, I just appreciated like the thought and effort, I guess, you brought to your character and mm -hmm. uh, that made it, you know, to where people could open up the door for conversations about what was happening, you know, and it's not like yeah. a typical rerun type of thing. Yeah, no, um, I mean, the opportunity to be on Grey's was um amazing and you know to get to jump into that love triangle and kind of be in there to stir up drama but also try to you know portray trey in a way that some people can kind of relate as well mm -hmm. you know, even though he's you know painted to be the bad guy you know you want to give him a little light as well and it was just a it was just a joy be able to play and, and so, you know we got a few more coming in so oh, oh boy. absolutely and so yeah so that that was my neck i want did you know that it was going to be a multi-episode arc from the get-go because sometimes yeah. you know they'll bring you in and you're going to be the the antagonist and then they like you so much you're like oh we're just going to expand this a little bit but you knew from the get-go it was going to be more than one yeah i knew it was going to be a couple episodes they actually ended up giving me an extra episode yeah from that we um 
that we originally had agreed upon. So, I mean, that that's cool. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But Oh, for yeah. sure. I feel like that's credit to you, bro. I mean, oh, you're doubt. rocking and rolling. I feel like, you know, a lot of these young actors, they're they're either really terrified or really egotistical to where like they step on set and they feel like they're the shit. But I feel like you got this sense of class to you to where you like you sit back and you recognize your position and you recognize, you know, I'm here to do a job and I'm going to do the best I can. And if I can do something else while I'm here, I'll do that, too. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, I'm just like. I just appreciate the opportunity to be working. You know, there's so many times where I'm not, and I'm just thinking I can't wait to, you know, be on set next. And when I'm on set, it feels amazing. So just to have the opportunity to be there, um, and I try to just make sure I'm prepared, do my work, and, you know, just kind of soak it all in while I'm there. Mm. So that the times when I'm not working, at least I can go back to that and be like, ah, that was, you know, that was sick. For oh, sure. yeah. And when you do that, then then more times than not, you do what you did and you impress, right? And you get an extra episode. And then, like you said, we'll see what happens. I feel like there's always opportunity, right, for, for the comeback. You, you never know. But if you approach it like you did and you come in, you do your job, you're prepared, you show up, and, and you're a professional, it, it always leads to good things, right? Nobody's going to rehire somebody that that didn't know what to do, wasn't prepared, didn't know the lines, kind of a thing. When you come in and give it your best every single time, that pays off down the line. So even though you do go those stretches where you're not working, they remember you. They're like, oh, this guy, that we need that guy back because he was he was awesome, you know. So I think it is a huge credit to you. And like Logan said, the way you portrayed the characters clearly why they gave the extra episode. It's like this guy took time. He's he's in it. He's making this guy likable. We want to see more of him. So that's a huge credit to you and your ability um, to be yeah. able to do that. And I think that's good for all the up and comers that are that are listening. And and that's the way to do it. Don't walk on a set, think you know everything, right? Just walk on, do what you're supposed to do, be prepared, give it your best, and then be happy when you're when you're off there. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, it goes a long way. And, and I love that you shared that, because I think that a lot of people need to know that's the way to do it. Yeah. And I mean, with the way that I got grades as well is, you know, it's important to do the work because I actually auditioned originally for a series regular on Grey's oh, and okay. that was past summer and I was pinned for it and it was between me and I think just another actor, mm -hmm. not who, but then um, it eventually went to the other character and then months later they just kind of gave me a call and said, hey, this role is perfect for you if you want it, you know, it's yours type of thing. So you know, putting in that work, you know, sometimes you use a lot of actors, we're sending these tapes and we think we're sending it to this black hole. That nobody yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because you know, I mean, oh, go ahead. No, yeah. Sometimes you just got to plant the seeds and be patient and uh, something will eventually grow out of it. Yeah. And that's what I was about to bring up too. We had a, a different actor on who um, auditioned for Walking Dead like multiple different times and they kept keeping his headshot in a folder just waiting for the right role to pop up and it's just one of those things where you know something that they feel like is going to fit your assets more that that's really what they're waiting for and another actor that came on said you know maybe they're think about it like they're going into it trying to buy a car Right now they're looking for a Tesla and you're kind of like a Maserati. So when they find that part for the Maserati, they're going to know exactly who to call. So like that type of thing. So it's always very interesting too. And something else we like to talk about with our guests is mental health. And with you being like such a young up and comer like and making some huge strides in the industry, 
with the amount of time that you have been in it. Um, how do you keep yourself mentally sane? Because there is times, like you've mentioned in the interview, where you're not working, where you have to keep yourself busy. How do you keep yourself motivated to keep moving forward in this industry? Yeah, a, a big thing I always say is uh, to have hobbies outside of the industry that have nothing to do with it. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I like to, uh, you know, I like to hit the gym, work out, but I also like to play basketball. So I play a lot of pickup. Mm. You know, something that I can do where it clears my mind, no matter what's going on. I can go there and I'm not thinking about it at all. You know, sure. It all comes rushing back after. Well, that's fine. <laughs> but during that time, you know, I'm just I'm there and present. So. That, uh, hanging out with friends and family, you know, I love, I love to go out, have fun, have a good time. So definitely have to do that. I mean, I know it's a grind, but I think at first I was kind of thinking like, just work, work, work yeah, and I get there. But, you know, I'm just, like, learn to balance it both out because yeah. if you just kind of just grind the whole time, then you start to lose interest then. That's exactly right. right. And I love that because you do need something to work. Those people that are just sitting by the computer or sitting by the phone just waiting to know whether they got something or not, like that's all kinds of bad, right? Just exactly. go out, <laughs> play basketball, do whatever it is you do. But And I think that the mindset that a lot of people have to get into is that it's a job. You know, if you were working at an office as an accountant, you don't you don't wait and that's all you do, right? You still have a life. You go out, have a good time with your friends. You go hang out with family. You do whatever. It, this is the same thing. It's just a job and you go, you still live your life. And I think that that mindset people really need to get into and understand that it is just a job. This is what I do for a living, but I also have life and I live outside of that. And, and I think that's important for people to remember because I think you can get stuck in that consistently I have to know, I have to know, I have to know kind of a thing. And that's just a nightmare waiting to happen. Yeah, no, it's definitely like using that comparison is great because we look at this job because we love it. It's our passion. We want to do it so bad that we have to give up everything to have it. And sometimes you got to step back and realize, okay, it's a job, you know, in a normal job, would I be sacrificing my weekend for this? That's right. Probably not. I would go out and have a good time. And you know what? I'm not going to lose any time because everybody in the industry is also having their Saturdays to themselves. Exactly. So it's like things like that. Yep, I for sure. There's a there's a phrase that we've been coining and talking about recently in interviews, and it's called Art Monster. And that's basically when you let your passion and your career kind of just take over your personality and who you are to the point to where like that's all you can bring up in conversations and like all of these different things. So you got to be able to put that thing to bed and be able to, <laughs> yeah, have your different passions, yeah. have your different, you know, things that you do. And I mean, especially like I'm assuming since you're from New York, you're a Knicks fan. You got to go to the Knicks game, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I, I would love to go to the Knicks game, but uh, playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little expensive, a little expensive. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you, know, you just got to keep moving forward and doing other things because, I mean, I'm sure you got like you know good spots that you can go to in New York. I mean, what what do you think is your favorite restaurant that you like going to in New York that you go to most often? Oof. My favorite restaurant. Put me on the spot here. I know. Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to get the deep cuts. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The uh, actually, I'll give a little plug to my cousin. Uh, there's one in the Ellie, uh, LES Lower East Side. It's okay. called El Nuevo Amanecer. Mm -hmm. Spanish restaurant. We always go there. The margaritas are bomb. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Um, and then out here in um in Astoria, there's this place called Amelos. It's like Mediterranean food. Ooh. Really good. Oh, yes. nice. That sounds really good. I mean, I've I've seen like pictures of uh, 
Mediterranean food pop up on my feed all the time, but I have not gotten the opportunity to try it yet, though. So I'm now that you've now that you said something about it, I don't have to figure out because we're in Charlotte right now, so we're just trying to figure everything out. But I mean, it's really good to hear, you know, your ability to be able to separate because that's so very important. I had a really bad time with that at the very beginning um because yeah. i am just recently engaged and when her and i were first dating it's when i was starting to figure out my passion what i was doing um so we would have a lot of conversations about that not necessarily good ones but you know <laughs> we we get over those humps um but to where you know we we need to spend time doing different things and so i think that's very important for everybody listening to hear that oh for sure yeah definitely so I got. I have to ask because you seem like a really bright guy, and, and like I said, you light up every time you talk about it. Any aspirations to move behind the camera, maybe direct, or or, or kind of do some stuff behind the camera as well? So it's funny, yeah. A lot of people have asked me that recently, but right now I'm like 100% focused on the acting, and I could definitely see myself, especially in a directing role mm-hmm. in the future. But right now I'm kind of laser focused in on the acting and I think I want to have more experience on set working with different type of directors so I can pick up, you know, different techniques or things that they do and what director I kind of uh, favor and all that. And I think in the future it's definitely something I'll look at further, but right now I think I just want to get more experience on set and learn a little bit more. That's, that is a great answer because I feel like a lot of times, you know, people will say, oh, I'm in, I got this thing going now. So now I'm going to jump into this and I'm going to jump into that and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And they don't take the time to just appreciate and learn and grow, which will make them infinitely better down the line when they go to do that other stuff. So I love that answer. Again, it just plays into, you're very intelligent. You can tell you're a very intelligent guy as well as very creative and you just know the process. And I think sometimes it's so important to know the process right yeah i mean that was part of it because you know after i did uh the film in high school mm-hmm. kind of stopped acting for a while yeah i i didn't know how the film industry worked so i shot that my sophomore year of high school and it didn't come out till my sophomore year of college oh wow yeah so <laughs> there was a lot of things and you know in my head i was like i'm the lead in the film I'm going to take off. That's going to be set. <laughs> exactly. So I started, yeah. I started focusing on other things. And then, um, you know, when college came, the movies didn't come out. It didn't seem like acting was going to work. So I took like a huge break from acting. I went to school for business, mm-hmm. uh, marketing and information systems. I got out and I was working in sales for a year, but I purposely got a job in New York. Cause I was like, all right, we're going to figure it <laughs> we're out. Gonna... Do it. So let's just get a job in New York. And then I ended up, you know, saving up, but, um, I got to learn so much about how everything works because I've been out for so long. I picked up an internship at this place called Actors Connection mm. and then I started working for them and they have classes with casting directors and agents that come in. So be, working there, I could take the classes for free. So then I used that and, you know, build a lot of knowledge on the industry and also try to build up my network because I really didn't have a network of other actors and people in the industry. And I mean, that helped oh. so much. That's awesome. Yeah, immensely. Because, I mean, yeah, who would have thought, like, hey, let me, you know, work here so I can get in here for free so I can try to figure out everything. I think that's what people fail to realize, especially when they're trying to break into it. It's like 
you can do these odd jobs that you don't necessarily have to build a career out of, but they will get you into door to the door to where what you want to do or to help you achieve that next thing on the resume. You know, I think that's so important because I mean, so many people. I was just listening to. We're big fans of Entourage. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. Um, <laughs> and we, I was just listening to um, the oh, yeah. Victory podcast, and they finally got Adrian, aka Vinny, on the show, and he yeah. was talking about how when when Doug was writing this thing and he was trying to figure out, you know, who was going to play Vinny, basically Mark Wahlberg's character, he went to this agent and Adrian worked as the uh the agent's assistant. So that's how it all came together. Like Adrian started off as the assistant to an agent and that's how he got onto one of these huge hit shows. So I mean, you really you got to just accept every opportunity that comes to you, especially if you feel like, you know, it's going to be that stepping stone to the big pond, the big picture. So I think that's very important. I think that's what you did. So kudos to you, man. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody wants to say, you know, it's like, it is a lot of luck, but you know, there are ways to strategize on this industry and put yourself in the right places so that those lucky opportunities come to you. Oh, for sure, man, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm very curious, though. What did your parents do when you were growing up? Because I'm sure they're very intelligent, and they, they pass that along to you. Yeah, so um, my parents, uh, my mom, she always worked in the hotel industry. Okay. My dad actually owns his own barbershop. Nice. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So my dad even taught me, in high school, taught me how to cut hair. So in college, I was doing that to uh, make some money for the weekend. I like how the dad dad's like you can do whatever you want, but I'm gonna give you a backup plan because you can you can always cut hair and make some money if you need to, right? So that's awesome. I I love that. Gave me a lot of beer money for the week. (laughs) That's fantastic. I love that though because you know having that support system, but then also having that like, hey, you also need to kind of maybe do this just to kind of like, yeah, I love that. That's the best way to approach it, man. Uh, Dude, that yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, for sure. We're both very very hard workers and always in instilled that into me and my brothers so you know i owe them a lot that's awesome man i mean that's good to give those roses to those flowers because it's very important to acknowledge those people who give you those opportunities like for example this is my father-in-law and i didn't even know (laughs) that i was going to be like so engulfed and in love with the entertainment industry and film and television if it wasn't for him because i always knew i liked to go into movies by myself when i was in high school and like doing all that but i didn't even know i was able to take that leap into this career path if it wasn't for you know people who are around you so i think that's very important um that's awesome it's awesome that you guys are doing this together that's cool uh it's been so fun man we've been doing it for about six years and we actually have our own film and television production company um we just shot our first film last year released it and uh we're just rocking and rolling man this is a way to build connections and to just continue getting our name out there that's what it's all about yeah no definitely well, we appreciate you, man. It's always awesome to have up-and-comers breaking into it, uh, coming on the show. You know, it's all about social media. And, dude, I tried to look you up on social media, <laughs> and there are so many Will Martinez's out there. So please let us know the correct handle so we can be sure to follow you and at you and all the good shit. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, at Will Martinez 07. 07. 07. Fantastic. Noted. Because there's a lot of you out there. I didn't know if you have a lot of fake accounts. I don't know. <laughs> a lot of bots, but. Pretty common, pretty common name. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, listen, man. Thank you so much. Take care. And we'll be talking to you soon, brother. All right. Thank you. Take care. I appreciate the time. This was awesome. All right, oh, man. Fantastic. See you.
All right, just another good one. I didn't even realize, like, when reaching out to him, I didn't realize how fresh he was in the entertainment industry. Yeah, I mean, he he is really young, guys. So if you are worried that, you know, you're not experienced enough or you're maybe too young to be taken seriously or you can't get into this because of all the... He's proof positive that you can. Yeah. He's also proof positive that if you need to step back and take a little break, and then jump back into it, you can do that too. And, and, and I mean, sometimes that's necessary. So it's always great to see somebody so young have their head on their shoulders properly and doing it correctly and understanding how it all works. So uh, I just, it, it's so inspiring, even for us that have been doing it for a while, yeah. to be inspired by somebody doing it right and doing it so young. Yeah, it's very nice, man. It's a refreshing feeling. It really is. Well, thank you again, Will, for coming on the show. All right, now it is time for the top five segment, and man, oh man, this is an interesting one this week because we like to coin ourselves as big Marvel fans, but we do have some movies that we do not like. So this week's top five is top five least favorite MCU films, which uh, will be very controversial for both uh, of us. I have to say, when I was looking at the rundown, preparing for the show, and I saw your list, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I I disagree with well m- most of you <laughs> the the ones uh, that are not three, the same three out of the five I disagree with I'm like what are you talking about but we'll get into it's it. okay I disagree <laughs> with one of yours too so it's fine oh my goodness number five for me goes to Captain America first event right off the bat right what off the, fuck? the bat I'm not a fan I feel like it was slow obviously I mean that's a fucking literally first Avenger so you have to do the first origin story even though it wasn't the first in the chronological order whatever blah 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 uh, but I just you know I wasn't really sold on Chris Evans when I was that age and I still go back and it's still my least favorite Captain America um, because obviously the other two are just so fucking brilliant um, but I mean I just I don't know man I just I wasn't a fan and I didn't really care for the dynamic of Red Skull and of course this is me going in as the the just the movie guy and not the comic book guy so I know there's so many more layers to that onion um but I'm not crying about it because my one of my least favorite MCU films is Captain America for uh first winner whatever the fuck first Avenger <laughs> I, I didn't like it I just I didn't I, like it first of all like Red Skull what? Then like He's it. so okay. And then this movie was absolutely necessary because it sets up everything you love. I like know. literally I know. it sets up Bucky, yeah. which sets up the Winter Soldier. It, does. it sets up Captain America yep. and 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 uh the Falcon where you get the transition to Sam as Falcon. Yep. All of that. It sets up all of There's even a picture hanging in the Captain America Museum in Falcon and the Winter Soldier of Captain America with the door from this movie. It was set all in advance. You kn- And I lo- I thought they did a brilliant job of telling you the origin because I've seen some other Captain America movies that fuck up the origin in just ridiculous ways, and it's a pretty straightforward origin. So um, Listen, I didn't say it wasn't necessary. I didn't say the film wasn't necessary. I just said I didn't like it. All right. Yeah, all right. I just, I mean, Peggy and like, it's just, all right. It's fine. No, it's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. All right. Now, I will say my number five, and I'm going to say the same thing that you said off the top of yours about Captain America First Avenger, and I would use that to debate yours. Mm -hmm. If you thought that was slow burner, like Eternals. So I want to clarify, okay, and this is why it's number five, because it 
shouldn't be on the list, but it is on my list because the whole first act, or let's put it this way, the first half of the first act, unnecessary. Yeah. It was slow, Mm -hmm. drug out, slow burner. It felt like you were there for 14 hours and it was only like 45 minutes, but it was like 14 hours of feel time because they literally went into this in-depth, overdone, drawn-out explanation as to who the Eternals are. Mm, Yeah. They felt like they had to do that, I guess, because they're a lesser-known group, and unless you're a comic geek, you have no idea who they are. And they, But Guardians of the Galaxy, nobody knew who the fuck they were, and you're talking mm-hmm. about a talking tree and a talking raccoon. They didn't go into some big, drawn-out, long explanation telling us 45 minutes to get to the fact of who they were, yeah. and it blew up. It was huge success. It just wasn't necessary. You should just come into it and say whether you know who these people are or not. Boom, they're the Eternals. Here's the movie. Here's their powers. Here's the bad guy. Boom. By the end of the movie, you would have loved them without the 45-minute explanation as to who the fuck they were. Yeah. You didn't need it. And so that's why it's on my list as one of my least favorites because I just felt like it was a long, drawn-out first act that wasn't necessary. Had they started the movie 45 minutes in and that was the starting point, it wouldn't even be on my list. It would be a great movie. That makes sense. I completely agree. Like, I don't know. Something about that one, I was just like... I think the overall, just having fucking my boys from Game of Thrones in there, like, that was completely distracting to me the whole time. So I was just like, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I love yeah. what they set up, though. So, I mean, that's what I'm excited for. And to have Harry Styles come in and do all that shit. So it'll be very interesting to see how that one moves forward. But notice how we haven't heard anything about how that one's going to move forward. So Yeah, well, other than Firefox. We know he's, he, but with, with the rest of the Eternals, we have no idea. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Number four for me goes to the incredible hulk you want to know why and this may be a surprise to you because i don't know if i've voiced this opinion to you i don't like ed norton i don't i think he's fucking i don't know i just don't like him i just something about him he falls in that timothy chalamet for me um but he just i don't know man just something about him i like the other guy i like the other guy not uh obviously not mark, mark ruffalo not mark ruffalo i oh. like the other guy um i forget who he was eric banner yeah i liked him better that movie was fucking awful i liked that movie better that, oh my saying, god yeah. he was the wrong green he he was a giant he looked like godzilla <laughs> uh, instead of the hulk hulk gets bigger and stronger as he gets angry but he doesn't get that fucking big and he doesn't get like weird ass I liked green it. i liked it better oh my was, god and the fucking gamma dogs and yeah, shit was, what uh, the fuck was so much better than fucking ed norton and his fucking talking to brad pitt looking ass not there like it's fine it's fine but i'm just saying i didn't i didn't know if i ever voiced that to you but yeah i'm not i'm not a i just i don't know i feel like he's a pompous ass are you saying you're me. not a fan of fucking fight club because of ed norton oh i like fight club brad pitt's in fight club but yeah i don't like ed norton birdman yeah, i did i've never Keep- seen birdman oh! Yeah, I've never seen Birdman. (laughs) It's one of Keaton's. He won the fucking Oscar for it. I know. And Norton and Emma Thompson, they're like fantastic. Not Emma Thompson, Emma Stone. There it is. Fantastic in that film. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. But, yeah, the other guy's better. Okay, well, I'm just going to give commentary on that one, too. I loved (laughs) that movie because they finally got him right. Uh, Yeah, yeah. He does get bigger and stronger as he gets more angry. They had him the right color, the right tone. They, you did see him increase and decrease in size depending on the fights and the battles that he was doing and everything. I thought it was a beautiful tribute to Bill Bixby's 
and Lou Ferrigno's Incredible Hulk TV show. Um, they even played the music at the end, and he's got the duffel bag, and he's walking off. I thought Norton and, and uh's dynamic uh, was was fantastic with Betty Ross and Bruce. I just thought I thought it was, and she's coming back by the mm-hmm. way. Liv Tyler is coming back as as Betty. Um, I just thought it was a real maybe because I was such a huge fan of the TV show hey. and it did such an homage to the TV show. Maybe that's why I like it so much. Yeah. I know this is on many people's least favorites. Yeah. It's just not popular amongst most people, and it's money wise, it's one of the least successful. Yeah. But I really liked it. Yeah, so. I mean, you know, you know, yeah. you're not most people. It's okay. No, it's, it's fine. It's fine. You're it's in your own lane. You're in your own. Lane. I am. I am. <laughs> My number four. I think everybody agrees. Yeah. Yeah. Thor. Yeah. Yeah. Thor was just not good. Mm-hmm. This is not a knock against Kenneth Branagh. He's a brilliant director and everything. And this is not a knock against Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. Definitely not a knock against Chris Hemsworth. I think Chris Hemsworth is the perfect Thor. Yeah. He's he nobody will play Thor better. The movie sucked. Yeah. It just wasn't good. And that's because Kenneth Branagh, and and I hate to say this, but Taiki, why, uh, Taika Waiti, and and I don't even know who the fuck directed the the uh, second one. None of them got the tone of Thor right. Yeah, they did. They just didn't get Thor right. But Thor was right in every Avengers movie. He was brilliant. That's Thor. Thor coming down in in fucking uh, Infinity War, swinging the battle axe and fucking laying the axe into fucking Thanos. Like, that is Thor. He's a cocky, arrogant, badass motherfucker. He does not crack jokes. He does not, like, you know, they just did not get the tone of him right. And so that's the problem that I have. They they got his origin right. They did Asgard right. You know, I I liked... um, uh, Anthony Hopkins as Odin. Yeah. I, like there were aspects of it that were correct, but just Thor was not correct. Yeah. And the movie is Thor, so it's <laughs> kind of like yeah. you know. Anyway, yeah, Alan Taylor. Alan Taylor okay. did. Uh, okay, well, Thor he didn't Dark get World. it right either. He didn't, obviously, because <laughs> number three for both of us is uh, Thor: The Dark World. Yeah, I, it was so fucking boring. Like it, it I, was. I mean, that's the problem with. A good amount of the Thor franchise in general, I feel like, has really dropped the ball on that one. So, yeah, I mean, there's really nothing more to say because, yeah, you kind of summed it up in that one because it's kind of the same thing with the first one and the second one. It's just like you have aspects right and you lead into, you know, Loki being the big baddie, but it still was like, okay, this is really fucking boring. So, yeah, number three and for both of us. Yeah, yeah. And look, I'm just going to say it. Um, Ragnarok is not on either one of our lists, but I think the only reason Ragnarok is not on either one of our lists is because of Mark Ruffalo and Hulk. Mm. I think Hulk carried that movie. It only worked because of their dynamic back and forth. It's like the in the first Avengers where they're battling as to who's stronger, and at the end of the fight, Hulk just fucking decks him. Bam! Yeah. You know, knocks him out of frame. Their dynamic works. That is how Thor would be with Hulk and yeah. Hulk with Thor. I think that's the only reason Ragnarok worked. 
and it's why it's not on the list. Yeah, I feel like I don't. I don't know. Sometimes you extract gold and then like can't recreate that. Exactly. So I and feel like that's what that was. <laughs> yeah, and we'll be getting to that. Yes, we will. <laughs> so yes, what's your number will. two? Uh, number two for me is Guardians of the Galaxy Two. This one was also pretty slow for me, and I. I really just did not like the villain. I did not like the fucking, oh, I'm a planet, but I can fuck people. Like, I, I just felt like that was really weird. I didn't like that aspect. I get Guardians are weird, but, I mean, just for me, I I just didn't, I wasn't feeling it. I would have much preferred, like, another extraterrestrial, like, Roman, or the fucking, you know, or whatever we had in the third one. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Egort, Egot, whatever the fuck his name is, like, eh, the planet, nah. Yeah, really I so so in defense of this one cuz I I agree with you. I did not like the villain either. I wasn't a huge I'm a huge fan of Kurt Russell, but I just oh, yeah, did same. not like yeah. that. Um I think that the whole movie was supposed to center more around Adam Warlock and it was supposed to we just recently found out include the death of Gamora. Yeah. And he had to rewrite basically the whole thing because Marvel shut him down because they had a, a, a plan for Gamora to die in the Infinity Wars, uh, you know, and uh, Endgame. And he basically had to go and just redo this film. And I think that's why if it out of the three, it suffers a bit. It's because of that reason. Hmm. Um, Gunn had to go back and, and change things that he didn't want to change. And yeah. and so I agree. With, I, I think that kind of that kind of messed with it. Um Where's your check from Marvel? You're defending all of these movies. No. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm no, just saying. I'm not really defending that movie so much as I am James Gunn. Because yeah. it's hard as a director and a writer who's got a storyline that you're trying to play out. Yeah. And then you get overridden and told to change it last minute. Yeah. Han Solo. The, the uh, Solo movie. Prime example. A prime example of, no, you need to change that shit. By the way, we're bringing in a new director. and yeah. It doesn't work when things like that happen. Exactly. So in his defense, I feel like. That's why it's the weakest of the three. Yeah. Um, my number two is Iron Man 2. Um, I think this was a rush job from start to finish. And, and you guys know what I feel about Favreau. I fucking adore John Favreau. I think the man is a brilliant director and everything that he does and everything about, he's got it all. But I think this was a rush job by the, and I know it's hard to say rush job when there were so many Marvel films in between Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2, but this movie's sole purpose was to introduce Black Widow. And yeah. I don't think it was for any other reason. Uh, uh, Mickey Rourke's whiplash was <laughs> fucking awful. It was god awful. Uh, it was. It's definitely by far the worst uh, of all the Iron Man movies. Uh, yeah. And um, it would, like I said, in my opinion, I think it was strictly to introduce Black Widow. Yeah. And they could have done that in a far better way than using an entire Iron Man movie to yeah. do it. I just, I'm sorry. Yeah. I just, it's on my list because it was. It was bad. I understand. I fucking Mickey Rourke in general, like nowadays, I feel like is just a hilarious, like kind of like crackerjack box character that you could throw into. Anything oh yeah, not that, wrong. Uh, yeah, not, not wrong. I just, you know, I just, yeah, thought that was very interesting. And like, what, what was like the animal? Did he have like a, a fucking swan or like a bird yeah, or yeah, something? Yeah, like, just the yeah, whole... very. It was a very interesting, yeah, character. But I didn't mind Iron Man too. I mean, I kind of, you know, whatever. I, anything with. Iron Man, I was a fan of because that's my number one. But um, yeah, I, I, I understand. I understand. That's the grievance of that one. Yeah. Um, number one for both of us. I this. I mean, some people liked it. A lot of people fucking hated it. I just felt like you know what the fuck am I watching right now? Like the only thing that made it kind of decent was Christian Bale. 
and who that, did a brilliant job he did playing. he yeah. did a great fucking job but we're talking about thor love and thunder yeah this is like the biggest piece of dog shit that Marvel has put out there. Yeah. I just want to say. No, without doubt. This was, uh, hey, look, Thor Ragnarok with comedy worked. Let's yeah. do it again. No. As we discussed, it only worked because of the Hulk dynamic with yeah. Thor. This proves that that was the reason it worked, yeah. and this one doesn't. It First of all, it was long. It took forever to get to all the meaty stuff in Act 3. I almost literally wanted to walk out of it, and I would never walk out of a Marvel movie. I almost wanted to walk out of this one. Yeah. It took way too long to get to the satisfying stuff with Christian Bale in, in the third act, and Thor sort of being Thor in the third act. Yeah. But... This one, again, I highly criticize as not getting Thor right. The fucking back and forth, being jealous that Jane has the hammer, the love affair with, talking to the battle axe, like, yeah. you know, like, like, what the fuck? Yeah, it was. That he would never <laughs> fucking do that shit. They, they just never fucking do that shit. This is a Norse fucking god. Like, he's not talking to his hammer with, like, having a jealous love affair. It was a fucking love triangle. What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, it was, it was very odd. And, I mean, yeah, I felt bad to, yeah, bring that back to Natalie Portman. Have yeah, that be, yeah. like, something that she came back to. And you're like, oh, my God. And it's funny that you said it was long because it felt long. But it was one of the shortest Marvel movies Oh, yeah, there. no, just but the yeah. getting to the third That's act what it, seemed it very felt long. Yeah. Like, it was... Yeah crazy like you're just like twiddling your thumbs you're like is this fucking over and here's where they drop the ball because that storyline literally her becoming thor her being worthy of the hammer and becoming thor to save her because she's dying from cancer what part of that storyline screams comedy to you this could have been such a great telling of that love story between the two of them his sacrifice to give up and let her become thor to save her It, it could have been epic and instead, it was a fucking disaster, a so comedy bad. that you never want to fucking see again. No. Like, it's just, oh, my God, it was so bad. Yeah, it was a little rough. It was a little rough. Definitely don't recommend that No, one. don't. Wa- if you want to watch Thor, watch all of the movies that he's in other than the Thor movies. Yeah, literally. Like, that's you know, it. Oh, my goodness. It's it's crazy, guys. It's crazy. But we want to know <laughs> your least favorite MC movie, MCU movie. Please, please, please be sure to comment below. <laughs> we want to know your thoughts and opinions. Do you agree with us? Do you disagree with us? Let's get into a debate. Let's fucking do it. Yeah. Um, but, of course, on Twitter and the YouTube comment section, we love it. Again, top five least favorite MCU films. Let this will be a thoughts. debatable one. Please comment because, yes. uh, like, this is a debatable one. It's so good. It's so good. Well, heading over to the box office recap. Oh, my goodness. Like we said in the industry news segment, the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 came in at number one with $118 million at the box office. Super Mario Brothers came in at number two with $18.6 million at the box office. Evil Dead Rise came in at number three with $5.9 million at the box office. There you go. Um, Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Came in at number four with $3.2 million. And number five, 
was Love Again with $2.4 million. Yeah, total flop. Not even Jonas could save it. Like, nah, it's, it's true. Just... It's true. Uh, new movies that are coming out this week, The New Book Club, The Next Chapter. Which apparently is also well on its way of being a total flop. Yeah. Um, the experts are predicting around $10 million. I'm going for the under on that one. Uh, me too. <laughs> I, I, if it cracks 10 I'll be shocked. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Blackberry, whatever the fuck that one is. And, I mean, let's be honest about it, guys. No one else is even trying to compete with Guardians. Um, Song has the balls to release a Spider-Man Homecoming, Venom, Good Luck Bo- Book Club, and Blackberry. That's yeah. from our producer. Yeah. Uh, but, goodness gracious, there's a lot happening, man. So, just get out and see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Yeah, please 3. do it. Let's, definitely, definitely. Keep that thing it. number one until uh, Little Mermaid comes out. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, new movies you can still go see right now. John Wick, Chapter 4. Um, that The only reason I know that Roman numeral is fucking... Because you know it's the fourth one. I know it's the fourth <laughs> one. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, uh, Air, The Covenant, and a couple of other ones. So yeah. be sure to go check those out. Um, the top trending movie this week what do you think it is uh let's see if i had to go out on a mm, limb i'd say mm, guardians, guardians of the galaxy 3 yeah, oh my yeah, goodness yeah. it only makes sense guys it only makes sense the top trending tv show is succession oh my gosh it's of it's of course it's fucking brilliant every week there's another shocker that like it has to be number one because it, it's like I, I i'm so sad it's going off the air exactly I'm so sad. exactly and the top trending star the hottest ip right now in hollywood we're talking about Honor Day Armas. She's everywhere, guys. She is. Absolutely everywhere. So be sure to watch all of the movies that she has out right now and just be prepared for all of them. Some are comedy, some are really hardcore, deep into shit, aka blonde. Um, so <laughs> be sure to check all of those out. So, but guys, thank you so much for getting crazy with us on episode 224 of It Calf Podcast. We got to thank our guest one more time, Will Martinez, for coming on the show. Yes. Be sure to follow him at Will Martinez 07 on Instagram. And of course, thank you guys so much. Be sure to follow the company and podcast on social media at ItCath Podcast and at Crazy Ant Media. And you guys know you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Stitcher, and so much more. And you guys know you can follow us both personally on social media. Myself at J. Logan Austin and at Crazy Ant CEO. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Uh, and of course, be sure to visit our website, www.crazyantmedia.com, where you can start rocking the latest and greatest Crazy Ant Media gear. 15% off right now, like we said. So be sure to head over there and start seeing what we have available we have everything from cups to teddy bears to pillows to dog hankies that you can put around their neck and all the good things and we have some everything's okay podcast uh merch up there as well that is our mental health podcast so if you want to feel like you're not alone be sure to check that one out as well if we can help one person one episode at a time that's all that matters oh yeah but man it was a great freaking episode i think the most in-depth um that we've been getting about the writer strike and how updated we've been about that has been my favorite because it has been like a you know a sense of controversy and I was I was just so pissed with Fran the SAG after president with those comments and she said that shit in front of Paramount in front of a picket line like I was so pissed that she was trying to be as neutral as possible when it's like 
you could also go on strike and you're the most divided union in the entertainment industry. So what, what are you even saying right now? Well, and here's a, I don't know how many people know this, but Fran is a writer and a member of the WGA and she was in front of the picket line, but she wasn't on the picket line. Exactly. So that should tell you everything. She she's, wasn't holding a sign. Yeah, she's like serious about not striking because she isn't even out there with the writers yeah. and she's a member of the guild. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it was pretty shitty. And and like I said, um, a, a lot of our actor friends, uh, they didn't like it either. So I don't know. I'm sure that there will be some that support her because, yeah. as you said, it's a very divided union. And um, But, yeah, that's going to be interesting. And what I really like about our coverage so far over the past few weeks since this thing started is how it's affecting people that aren't members of the Writers Guild yeah. and what it's doing to productions and what it's doing to crew and what it's doing, you know, to different unions. And it's interesting. I mean, it, it's not just the writers. It's affecting the entire industry in a whole yep. in in, uh, in a lot of ways. And I, I think it's going to get much worse before it gets better. Agreed, man. Agreed. And it's also fun to talk about the streaming bubble because uh, it's, yeah, it's very interesting right now. So catch the shows while you can because some are going to get consolidated and taken off. Um, yep. All the good stuff, man. All the good stuff. Well, someone else who is amazing and stands by her right to party. Get a fight for your right to party. The <laughs> one, the only Oprah! Oprah!